Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast. I am Rachel Hutchison, and I have the honor and pleasure of leading Blackboard's global social responsibility. I'm here today on the podcast with Paul Klein, who is the president and founder of Impact and also the founder of the Impact Foundation for Social Change. And we're here today to talk about change for good. So welcome, Paul. Thank you, Rachel. Pleasure. It is always great to be with you. We always end up finding just a few little things to talk about when when we connect. So pleasure to have you on the podcast. And, and you know, joining us through the airwaves are all sorts of people who are interested in social good in all sorts of different ways, whether they work for nonprofits or businesses or governments or community organizations, or it is just a personal passion. So as we talk about change for good, can you start us by just telling a little bit about yourself and Impact? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, Impact um, is a B Corp. I, I founded in 2001. And uh, we really exist for only one purpose, which is to help corporations solve social problems and benefit from doing so. And um, and yeah, we have the great pleasure of working across all different industry groups um, in different countries, and um, and we don't do anything else except for that. Um, and then the Impact Foundation for Social Change is also something I'm very passionate about, um, which we started um, two years ago which is kind of operates in parallel to impact as a charitable organization uh, with the mission of creating pathways to employment for vulnerable people. And um, the Impact Foundation's work is at least initially centered on creating employment for refugees and newcomers, which is a huge employment gap. And um, also, I think just the, the, the work of the foundation reinforces, I think, think things that you and I have talked about before, actually, which is fundamentally, you know, we believe one of the most important aspects of social change from a corporation's point of view is employing people and employment delivers all kinds of change. So we do that directly with, you know, with impact, helping corporations do this, solve social problems. And with the Impact Foundation, it's social change through employment. So you and I did talk about that a couple of years ago, and it's interesting to see where you've taken it. So congratulations. And today, we really want to hone in on a topic I focus on a lot, which is ESG, or environment, social governance, mm-hmm. sustainability, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. But it's one thing is for sure, and that's that people do want to work for companies that do good, that, that bring them a sense of purpose, that, that help solve a societal problem. So let's start first, because I have a whole lot of questions I want to ask as we unpack this. But so ESG stands for environment or environmental, social, and governance. Those are the E, the S, and the G. And they're all important. But how how does a company start? How does a company uh, balance or prioritize what this means to them? It's a, it's a great question. And also, you know, you and I have chatted about this before as well. And, um, and I would ask, I would add another dimension to uh, what you just said, um, which is, yeah, how do you these are all important, but what do you, you know, focus your resources on if you're a corporation? And how do you measure these things? And so, I, I don't know, I feel like from an environmental point of view, of course, corporations have come a long way. And, you know, I, and I think we've said that 
and I think it's true that this is a table stake. I mean, it's so expected and, you know, climate change and their most recent report has just made that, just sort of solidified that this is a table stake. Corporations have to be reducing their impact on the environment and improving what they do. And there's all kinds of examples of this, of course, whether that's increasing electric vehicles or, you know, people reducing their, you know, their, the environmental footprint of their supply chain. It just goes on and on. But it's just an expectation to the point that, um, you know, investors are selecting investment properties based on the degree to which corporations do this. And there's a risk in not doing it, right? So that seems very clear. The governance side of ESG, I think, is also nothing is obviously nothing is perfect. People make people even in large corporations, there's all kinds of bad things that happen at a governance level, which shouldn't happen. But it's much better than it used to be, I think, because of the increased transparency, social media and so on. You can't hide behind a behind a boardroom anymore in a boardroom. anymore. So, again, not perfect, but better than it used to be, and a table stake, especially, of course, for a public corporation. And I think that the social side of it is always so interesting um, because the hardest to measure, but I believe in the context today of what I just said, of these other two areas being table stakes, I think that the social dimension of business is the next frontier of, um, you know, of, of what it means to be a business in in society today yeah so you know so many there's so many so much terminology and and bits of language that we use to describe this work and and the way i think about the overall umbrella is social social responsibility i always put my hands over my head and like create a rainbow when i say that social responsibility (laughs) is up here and esg is a piece of that and to some esg is very specific data-driven disclosures uh, but when we think about it at Blackboard, we're thinking about it for investors, sure. But first and foremost, we're thinking about it because of our employees. So our employees, our customers, our communities, and our investors. So it's all of those. And our social responsibility report aims to appeal to all of those audiences. Mm-hmm. And and then you unpack the ESG part and you have different objectives and things you want to do under E, S, and G. And what you just said is so true. We we kind of talk about it as we really live in the S every day. That's our people, a lot of our processes. And E, we're, we're working with an outside consultant to get better at E and what we measure and what we declare. And G is pretty solid, but we don't need to prove that. But S mm-hmm. is the hardest to measure, but it also, I think, has some of the best opportunity. So so talk a little bit about this. Why is it so hard to measure, but why is it so important? Well, I think you just said opportunity and it, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking that, you know, in in the with the E and the G, a lot of it is about mitigating risk. But the S is where I think you I agree with you, that's where the opportunity is. And um why is it hard to measure? Well, I think there's a few things. Um that um one is that you're juxtaposing sometimes longer term social change with with much shorter term business performance metrics so it's hard to measure social change this quarter um, it's impossible to do that so if you're trying to put it in the annual report or in the annual csr or sustainability report what did we actually if if you're a company that is committed to solving a social problem that means that that's a long-term commitment. That's not happening this year or next year. It's a commitment and it's about leadership and commitment and 
and and a an acceptance that change is difficult. Yeah, and you layer love- on top of that that you also if people and a lot of us is people. It's got all of your people data, your DNI data. It's got your mm. supply chain. There's all sorts of pieces in us. In mm. addition to making impact on a social issue, for mm. us as a company, we believe in choice because we work with so many different organizations, mm. and so it further diffuses your ability to move the needle on one issue, which which makes it even harder to prove. Um, so how do you it, you know you have people data, but how do you I know you can do this, but the idea of using data to prove that you have a positive culture is it gets harder and harder the further you move away from certain pieces of data. So very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, you know, on the data side of it, you know, uh, there's been a there's been a shift to quantitative data and which I understand completely. And it's also true that in this particular space, qualitative data is as important, if not more so, I think, in terms of assessing social impact. What are people's stories? You know, what 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 are the stories of change that you can actually get your, you know, get, you know, you need to start with that. You need to start with the stories of the problem, and then you need to actually collect stories of change. Yeah, that's so interesting. So in our report, we have what we call the narrative section, and then we have the data disclosure section. And I've had people... I don't know, tongue in cheek, sometimes say, oh, this is the marketing fluff and this is the actual real stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, actually, no, no, you're not getting the point because the stories mm-hmm. are actually an important part of the disclosure because they provide context. And sometimes you're providing that context for your own people, not just for, and it's for everybody. And the investors like it too. I mean, investors don't just focus on the data. They, they focus on the stories too. Mm-hmm. So when we were speaking before preparing for this, you mentioned businesses continuing the practice of CSR light. What do you mean by that? <laughs> well, CSR light is funny. You know, when I started talking about that and, you know, sometimes you're, you know, you speak to people about different things and sometimes there's something that really cuts through and people really relate to it. This is one of those things. I just, and for me, it was just something I thought about a long time and I started talking about CSR light and I was going, yeah, I get that. And what that is, is Businesses that do the minimum amount possible to be seen to be doing something in this space of of social responsibility. And unfortunately, it is all too often the case where, despite what we were saying before, despite the fact that um, there's huge upside and opportunity and a business case and all kinds of evidence to suggest that doing being socially responsible is a valuable thing to do, so many companies don't take it beyond just the bare minimum. And that's what CSR light is. It's the optics rather than the substance. So it's not a compliment. If someone no, no. Uh, says that if you say someone's doing CSR light, it's not that you're just stepping into it. It's that you're yeah. really need to step into it more. Uh, and, and, you know, it's also we're thinking, why is that? Like, why, why are our corporations sort of in this twilight zone of, of doing something but nothing, you know, and um, given the opportunity. I mean, I think that one of the things is that it's interesting that I, I believe that a lot of companies believe it's actually risky to be going too far in this area, to be saying, okay, our company is going to, you know, commit to helping solve homelessness or whatever the issue may be. They don't seem, I don't think that, I think there's a leadership vacuum 
at a social change level. You know, and so what you tend to hear is companies that say, well, they, you know, have no, people have no problem saying, you know, well, we're going to give $10 million a year to, you know, help homelessness or something, you know, but that's an input rather than an outcome. And I think that what is most powerful and most important and ultimately of the greatest business value is when corporations actually live into a place of authenticity and commitment and leadership to say, no, we may be giving a certain amount of money and time and so on, and that's all good. You need to do something, but it's a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. <laughs> you know, It's a means to an end. And success will be when a company that commits to some social issue doesn't actually have to do it anymore because the issue is improved as a result of what they do. Yeah, and, and there's some discussion, a good bit of discussion for many years about how this work has to be at the heart of your strategy versus, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot about how when I started in, in the world of CSR, it was like I was located down the street and around the corner in another office separate from the main <laughs> building and separate from the work of the business. And and really, it should be be together. And, and I find myself referencing Judy Samuelson's book a lot recently, The Six New Rules of Business, which... I think she just very um, adeptly gave a picture of the way the business used to be, very much about capital and mm. control and and the way business is now where, you know, purpose is really, you look at the six new rules and I can see the, this work in all every item, all six of them. And then the, in the six mm -hmm. old rules, I could only really see it in one. So there's really been this evolution. Doesn't mean that everybody's adopted the new rules yet. So, so to that end, how do you, what's it take to move a company that maybe is in the CSR light world, or maybe not even there to move to this passive and effective place to solving an actual problem? That's, it's kind of scary to some, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's not what many leaders grew up around. When you look at the old rules of business, those are the old rules that the business schools taught. That's how people were brought up thinking mm -hmm. about how what you focused on if you were a business leader. And these new rules are very different. They're more people-focused, community-focused, um, reputation-focused. So how do you help move an organization? And, you know, to your point about the context, and I, I, I will just say I, I have so many times referenced you in <laughs> your <laughs> mantra, which you said to me, uh, always stuck with me about, you know, change is everywhere and for everyone. And it's not just in the social space anymore. It's actually everyone's responsibility and um, including business. So, so nonprofit organizations, I think part of, you know, the answer to what you were saying is it used to be that nonprofit charitable organizations, sometimes government had a kind of, or were seen to have a kind of lock on social change, right? And we're also, I think, there's a um, there's a significant bias that that's where the best social change happened, or it should only happen within those areas because it because of the credibility and so on of those organizations. Well, we know that's not true, and there's lots of charitable organizations that actually don't do a good enough job in the areas that they're supposed to be doing. So just because you're a charity doesn't mean that you have a kind of license to be doing the best social change work. Some do, and some don't. And by the same token, in, on, in the corporate sector, lots of change needs to happen in there. And there's a lot of corporations, as we said, that aren't doing nearly as much as they could. And there are also others that are beginning to genuinely lean into doing something in a different way. So 
what is, what are the ingredients to that? There's there's a lot for me. I think one of the things comes back to we talked about leadership a few minutes ago. I think that's obviously an important thing, and you've got leaders who um, need to genuinely believe this is the right thing to do in spite of the business case, the numbers, and so on. There's a leap of faith, I think, that you see the best leaders are taking into account. They're just living that in a way that some aren't. Uh, just uh, one comes to mind when you, you know, we've worked with uh, for a number of years is McCain Foods globally. Their CEO has embraced this incredible vision of um, the future of farming. And then they're putting that into, into play. And they've got these, these new, they call them farms of the future in different parts of the world where they are, you know, reinventing uh, how to farm in the best possible way and sharing what they're doing with anybody who wants to know. And so that's, to me, that's leadership. Another thing that I think is fundamental is, is, you know, basic innovation. You know, which is easier to talk about than to do. But um, to me, the essence of innovation is applying the. It's thinking about the fastest way to make the biggest difference at the lowest cost. And this is, you know, if you were so, if you were trying to improve an aspect of business, and you could figure out a way to do that with respect to some other aspect of business, you would be a superstar. I found a faster way to change this at a cheaper and it's cheaper. Yeah. And remove a cost from something. I'm going to provide this value. I'm going to remove the cost. It's really interesting to see innovation. And I have the pleasure of seeing this, you know, in some of the work that I see every day at Blackboard, where people are really trying to solve problems like that. Blackbot is a company that embodies innovation. So, you know, um, so you've already, I feel like already got that as part of your culture a lot, I think. There's a lot of lip service around innovation as well. And but I feel like you should one should be applying that same question to social change. So if if you're an organization that has embraced um, you know, focused on some particular social issue, that should be the sort of driving question around it. Okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna address hunger or homelessness or climate change or anything else, fastest least expensive way to make the biggest difference. What is that? And um, and I think that's more companies ought to do that. And the final thing, or not final thing, another thing that has become too so important to how we do this work, and I think is something that is, is just really what it should be, is involving people with lived experience in the design and the deployment of social responsibility programs. And this is a huge gap. Corporations will have, would never, a a company who had an IT problem would never try and find someone who was, uh, you know, who was homeless to help solve that problem, right? That's never going to happen. You're going to find the absolute best IT expert to help with this problem. However, that same company might have a social change program that's focused on homelessness and be making decisions based on the experience of very privileged people, you know, management and executives within companies that have never experienced that problem. And those people are making decisions about what to do and who to partner with and how much money to give. I don't think that's good enough. I think that real change, and I think that's one of the reasons not enough change happens, 
I think the real change and the authenticity of work in this area comes when you tap into and involve in a, in a, in a meaningful way people who have lived experience of that problem. Yeah, I agree. And it's about co-creation and not just coming up with the idea that, that you patent and say, this is going to fix everything for everyone. Yeah. Um, so obviously you work with lots of different companies. So who is actually getting it right? You know, and how much more do we need? I have a personal belief that, you know, nonprofits do wonderful things in the world. And, and I think if we can get more companies oriented around social good, we will actually just move the needle faster. Um, we need everybody at the table. That's part of this good is for everyone concept that I talk about. So mm-hmm. who is getting it right? Well, I was going to ask you that question, actually. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, an example like McCain, I think is a, is a really good one. I think what they're doing is, is the real deal. And, um, and, you know, then the question is, there's, there's when you get beyond the usual sort of suspects that people talk about, the Patagonias and the Ben and Jerry's and so on, the black boss, you know, there, there are companies that are a, a, a relatively small number of, of companies come to mind for people when you talk about real social change in the business world. And the question is what's going on beyond that? I, I can't, I, you know, I can't remember if we talked about this already. I've re- recently written this book called change for good, uh, which is going to be published next year. And so had the, the great pleasure of being able to do a lot of digging um, into companies that I had never heard of before, um, and which I, I think many of whom do heroic work. There's one example that comes to mind is an incredible company at a, in the Basque region of Spain called the Mondragon Corporation. They make a huge variety of products, medical products, products for cars and so on, but it's, a, it's actually run as a co-op. I think there's more than, I think there's more than a hundred different co-ops that are part of this. There's, 75 around, I think they have around 70,000 employees and they have made a, they have a a mandate there where the CEO does not make, makes no more than six times what the minimum worker makes. Wow. That is leadership. And, um, and that goes against um, the um, all kinds of other evidence in the U S where I think that in, that the average CEO salary is more than 300 times the lowest employee. So um, there's a company, if you look closely at this company, where from top to top, which I just described, there's a commitment about leadership right through this company. And I know you would love this, Rachel, to look uh, to, to know about them. Their commitment to their people is extraordinary during the, um, you know, they had a huge downturn during the, during the uh, pandemic, of course, related to one of the products they have. They don't lay anybody off. No, they kept the they kept the workforce. So that's that's to me that's a very inspiring example. Yeah, it is, and I love hearing about the companies that that you don't know because oh. there is it's so much it's it's easier. We all buy consumer products, so we know about the kind of up and coming, you know, or boutique companies. You know, I buy Bomba socks and I wear Rothy shoes, and sure. you know, there are, there are companies that are just interesting consumer brands. Or you hear about the wonderful examples like the CVS story and, and stopping to sell tobacco, which was really, that's a great story. You know, they decided that they were going to be more about health and how could they be about health if they sold tobacco and their stock actually went up. So that's really interesting, but that's a big brand. And so you don't hear as much about the, the companies that you just wouldn't know. Exactly. There's, um, there's an amazing um, company 
or something. I forgot the name now. But her, her, this woman, um, an indigenous woman in Canada, started uh, a a makeup company. Then I'll, I'll think of the name. I should look it up. That uh, is uh, doing remarkable work in uh, in terms of you know, they have a line of makeup. I think it's only sold online, but um, it is you know you know contributing to social change in the indigenous community in addition to being. I, you know, what I understand is, is an amazing product. And they're, I think, now being sold in Zipporah and Zipporah, these different, you know, bigger, bigger brands. So uh, Cheekbone Beauty, that's the name of it. <laughs> so I remembered it. What was it again? Repeat that. Cheekbone Beauty. Cheekbone Beauty. Cheekbone Beauty. Cheekbone Beauty. Got it. Cheekbones. And that's Jen Harbour. She's amazing. And she has created this business that it's it's you know it's getting so successful, but it's 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 it it is genuinely based on her experience as an indigenous woman, and the company is top to bottom. It's as authentic as it gets. Yeah, that's so interesting that it was health and beauty products that you raised up because the, you know I go and every once in a while you go and get a facial or something. And there are all these products I've learned that are, some of them are sourced locally in my own community. And they're, they're these thriving brands and they're all organic. And they're really interesting to see the creative entrepreneurial energy that's being put toward socially responsible goods and uh, business and small business. That's the other thing I've always meant about good is for everyone, that it's, you need everybody at the table all mm-hmm. different kinds of organizations, nonprofits, companies, government, individuals. But you also, just looking within the, the for-profit world, you need all different sizes of business. That often this is a topic that people talk about at very large businesses. And Blackwood's mm-hmm. a mid-sized business. We are, you know, we have like 3,200 people. We're nothing like a you know, UPS or a CVS or a Walmart. Um, but what about the tiny businesses? What about the ones that have five people or 10 people? They're important too. I think in the U.S. alone, obviously here in Canada, but the U.S. alone, something like 70% of all people who work for business in America work for a small to mid-sized business. So we can't I've forget about that. I've heard that. You know, I think yeah. that people don't don't know that, or, you know, mostly. Mostly people are thinking about big businesses. You know, that's where people employ it, but it is not that, not the case. I've I've heard here somewhere, you know, that uh, I, I think I heard 10% in Canada of, you know, employment is in the largest corporations. The rest of it is, you know, small, small, many, many small businesses. And um, so look at the look and look at, you know, the importance of this fact in the context of the pandemic and um, and what's happened and the impact of on smaller business. I mean, it had an impact on everybody, but but smaller businesses, frontline organizations and and so on. And these are it comes back to the to the social value of employment, you know. And so this is why the, you know, the SDGs have been, you know, according to many people, I believe it's true, you know, achieving the SDGs is not nearly as likely as it was because of the impact of lack of employment during the pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, I love the SDGs. I actually have a soccer ball with the SDGs on it. It was like a UNDP soccer ball, which I love, but it it didn't, um, uh, combining two of my loves, social good and soccer, um, (laughs) they didn't come with like an instruction manual or even a funding, or it was, here's this great framework for you to embrace, but go embrace it. And so it's like, we need an extension to the 2030 to, yeah. Because these are tough problems. These these are tough problems that we're trying to solve, and it's a long term game. 
Yes, no, totally. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I think that there made significant progress in some areas. I think of the SDGs had been made and then there was a setback. But I also am an optimist, you know, and I also see, you guys think some of the things we've talked about, like during the pandemic, you saw incredible innovation and commitment as well, you know. And so people leaned into doing things in different ways. Um, you know, it's not, I think that there is a, was an enormous this is the beginning of an enormous resurgence of emphasis on locally made products and services. Yeah, for sure. And actually having time to, to appreciate and pay attention to what is local and what's around you versus spending so much time at work. Although I know you and I share this, this concern about what's happening with belonging at work and employees at work when we're not actually together, we gain freedoms, but we also lose something in that, connectedness. Um, it is not exactly the same. I think listen, I totally, and I think that it's, you know, it's a wake up call for, you know, the importance of meaning in our lives, I think, you know, and at work and otherwise. And so I think this has caused a lot of people to rethink what they're doing and who they're working with and sometimes who they're with. <laughs> it's all kinds of things that have happened, you know, and, uh, you know, in the times people spend at home, I read something so interesting about this. It, very often it brought a lot brought a lot of families closer together and some farther apart. And um and so it's just a it's a it's a it is a crisis of extreme, I would say. You know? Yeah. Um yeah. but in the in the world of social change and how that applies to business and charitable organizations, I think, it also um there was some incredibly, you know, just some amazing things of how like large corporations who typically operate very slowly started to operate very fast. And there's some amazing examples of companies that mobilize their resources to get, you know, dollars to frontline organizations really, really fast and, and much faster than usual. TD, TD created something, I can't remember what it's called, but it, so it was like set up within, you know, 30 days or something. And they got their, got, got this whole new fund set up uh, all across North America where they operate. It was incredible. Uh, you know, four seasons in New York turned their whole, you know, a, a lot of their space into, into, uh, uh, you know, residence for frontline workers, frontline healthcare workers in New York. So there's all kinds of just really inspiring examples. And again, I'm optimistic that, um, some of this, um, innovation that happened, that had to happen during this time will be maintained. Yeah, I think so too. It, you know, it pushed us beyond these barriers that we think are so fixed in front of us and yeah. made us, you know, forced us to think differently. And that's what kind of difficult times do. You know, you always make the yeah. gutsier decisions when it's harder versus when things are good. So mm -hmm. before we close, I would love um, for you to share where our listening audience can go if they'd like to learn more or perhaps follow you and this, um, you know, you mentioned that you have this book coming out, perhaps you'll come back on after it comes out and tell us more about that. So where can people learn more? Well, in terms of what we do, um, it's um, impact, which is impact. You can go to impactcorp.com. It's impact, the K-I-M-P-A-K-T-C-O-R-P.com. Check out the impact foundation, um, which is same spelling of impact, impactfoundation.ca. Um, the book Change for Good will be actually released in um, next March, but there will be uh, it will be I think in September it will be possible to pre-order 
change for good on Amazon and all kinds of other platforms. Um, and um, so we check, check that out and we'll, we'll be announcing that really soon. And the publisher of uh, Change for Good is called ECW Press. And so they're, they'll be sharing it in all those places. And, um, and people should, of course, be checking out your work, the various BlackBot platforms and like this one and the blog and so on. People should know about those too. Well, great. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure, as always, talking with you. We could talk about all of this for a really long time. There's so much, um, for all the hardship we've had over the last 18 months, there's been a lot of movement on some things that seem to be stuck for a while. So I join you in having a sense of optimism that we, we've learned a lot and we're going to keep a lot of what we learned and continue to refine it. Uh, but, you know, you and I will be watching that and trying to do our part to, to move it along. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you for your leadership, because, you know, there are few people in the corporate world who are walking the talk like you do. Oh, well, that is exceptionally kind of you to say. So to our listening audience, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SG Engage podcast. You can listen to other episodes wherever you stream your podcasts. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is Rachel Hutchison.